Welcome to Plantful Life. Do you love mushrooms like I do? When I say shiitake, porcini, and chanterelle, does it conjure up a memory of something delicious? Like mushroom pizza, mushroom risotto, or mushroom tacos perhaps? Mushrooms are terrific for both culinary and medicinal uses. If you want more flavor, cook with mushrooms. If you want to replace meat, use mushrooms. If you seek a long life, eat mushrooms. In this episode, we discuss how mushrooms are healing foods with fungi expert Jeff Chilton, mycologist and founder of Namex, the leading supplier of organic mushroom extract ingredients for supplements. Jeff is an expert in the booming medicinal mushroom product category with over 40 years of mushroom growing experience. He was one of the first to bring mushroom extracts to the North American market. Jeff organized the first organic mushroom growers workshop in China back in 1996. Well, mushrooms are one of the most versatile and nutritious foods on the planet. They can be used for both culinary and medicinal purposes, which is why they're so great to cook with and eat every day. Our guest Jeff calls mushrooms the forgotten food. You'll also get inspired on how to make delicious mushroom tacos over on the Plantful Kitchen blog as well, so click the link in the show notes for that post if you're curious and inspired. Well, Jeff and I discuss ways to get more mushrooms into your everyday life for replacing meat or getting more flavor into your cooking. Plus, we'll explore some of their fantastic health benefits, including longevity. I know you're going to love this episode all about the healing and culinary qualities of mushrooms. So without further ado, let's tune right into my discussion with Jeff and learn more about mushrooms. How are Hi. you? Good. Just making sure we're recording here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. So uh, how's it going down there in uh, sunny Southern California? It is beautiful here oh, all the time. Springtime, <laughs> but it's always springtime. <laughs> it's so beautiful here all the time. And we're right near the ocean and I love it. So how You're is Ventura. it up here? Yes. Ventura, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. town. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I share the ocean with you. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm in British Columbia and mm -hmm. I live on the uh, West coast side of Vancouver Island. That's beautiful too. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well it, it is. And especially now we've had a week of sunshine and, and <laughs> you know, for springtime, if we even get up to 65 degrees, we're like, wow, that <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very good environment for growing mushrooms, I've heard. 
<laughs> it is actually a very good environment. Um, so, so shall I start out? Are you ready to go? And I, I am. Little... Yeah, absolutely. So it's really a pleasure to have you on Plantful Life. And I know that mushrooms are actually, as we all know, a fungus. So it's not necessarily <laughs> a plant per se, but there are so many wonderful qualities about mushrooms that I am here to learn from you. So please tell me first, how did you get into mushrooms? You're passionate about mushrooms. So give me a little backstory. Sure. Well, I was... Uh... Born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, raised in Seattle, actually. And, and, you know, one of the things about this part of the country is Washington is the evergreen state. So we have vast forests, we have lakes, we have rivers. And one of the reasons for that is it does rain a lot. <laughs> if we could only exchange sun for rain, you know, send you guys some rain, you guys could send them some sun, that'd be great. But <laughs> one of the things that that, that does bring is... Uh, this area is probably one of the best areas in the world for wild mushrooms. So early on, I got out and did some mushroom hunting as a kid, really enjoyed it. When I went to university, which was in Seattle, University of Washington in the late 60s, my field of study was anthropology, but it had a mycology department, which is pretty rare. So I took some mycology courses along with it. And then I, I put the two together during my studies. And I, in a sense, was studying the use of mushrooms worldwide for food, for medicine, and in shamanic purposes. So, you know, it was, uh, I just kind of carried that on. And then after I got out of university, it's like, well, you know, there's not a lot of jobs in anthropology. What am I going to do? And uh, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I'd, I'd love to learn how to grow mushrooms. And lo and behold, uh, 60 miles down the road in Olympia, Washington, is the only mushroom farm in Washington state. And it's a very large farm. I went down, I applied for a job. I was at that mushroom farm for the next 10 years. Wow. <laughs> literally living with mushrooms. It was a big farm. It grew, grew 2 million pounds of mushrooms per year. And the coolest part about it was that we had a Japanese scientist who was growing uh, oyster mushrooms. He was growing enoki mushrooms mm. and he was growing shiitake mushrooms. Oh mm, my God. My favorite. I know, <laughs> my favorite too. Oh, can you imagine like in the seventies when really no one else in the country had fresh shiitake, I was eating fresh shiitake. So heavenly. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, in, 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 uh, China, they call uh, the mushroom Shanggu, which means fragrant mushroom. So good. Oh, Ooh, oh, that and wood ear. What about wood ear mushrooms? <laughs> well, wood ear. <laughs> wow, you, you actually know wood ear? I do. I love them. Oh my God, that is so interesting because for a year, I traveled extensively in China during the 90s. Mm -hmm. And wood ear was one of those kind of weird things, you know, it's like 
geez, this does not really look like a mushroom. It's very different. Uh, it's chewy. And I was kind of like, but over time I got to where, oh, I really like this thing. And, and, you know, one of the things about Chinese cooking that, that I discovered was they're totally into textures and yes. they have all of these kind of, I mean, they'll, they'll have stuff that you're just like chewing on for a while, but yeah. that's part of their cuisine is, is these different and wood ears. One of them, I don't, you know, it would take a while for uh, people in North America to really get onto the wood ear, but it's, it's really yeah. uh, very tasty and chewy and, you know, it, it's very savory. I, um, my boyfriend is actually is Taiwanese and I'm plant-based. So here in Los Angeles, there are many Chinese restaurants that are purely plant-based uh, vegan restaurants that wow. use mushrooms to create the meaty textures as a meat replacement rather than a processed meat. So, and, and if we go to just a traditional uh, Chinese restaurant, there are dishes with wood ear and, you know, peas and you know like uh all kinds of different veggies and lotus root and you know all these different textures and flavors and and wood ear was something that i very i mean immediately fell in love with it you know i think it was some sort of broccoli dish or something like that. i can't remember but it was a vegetable dish they threw in the wood ear and it just makes it you know yeah well you know it's interesting that you brought up the whole thing of of meat and and meat substitutes and stuff and you know one of the one of the issues for me and look i am a meat eater but one of the issues to me about all this beyond meat and stuff like that is it's highly processed yes you know and and you're kind of like do we really need another processed food i mean i mean i'm sure you don't shop in the middle aisles any more than, no. than i do right <laughs> and, and and you know in a way it's interesting because mushrooms have been showing up actually as okay a mushroom burger mm -hmm. um there's even uh, a lot of recipes out there where you just if you're immediate or cut a uh, half of that ground round uh, uh and put in half mushrooms to mm -hmm. create sort of a mushroom burger and and so so in a way mushrooms are kind of that meat substitute people don't absolutely. really know it yet but it, they are they absolutely are and on top of that because you know so much about mushrooms um the nutritional value the you know what we get from them not only for as a food but what what it's nourishing our body with like what is in a mushroom and all the different types of mushrooms and we we know you and i know but perhaps our listeners don't know yet um, about the medicinal qualities and traditional Chinese medicine and the historic use of mushrooms. So wow. I know you, you know, know a lot about this. We can go so many different well, directions. Well, I know. <laughs> and, and let me just start by, by saying uh, when I started work at the mushroom farm in 1973, classical nutritionists basically said, mushrooms have no food value. They're, they're tasty you can use them as a garnish or throw them into whatever they they add some flavor but they have no food value why did they say that they said that because they're low in calories wow mushrooms are low in cal mushrooms do <laughs> not for one they're they're low in uh, fats and two they don't have starches in them plants have starches 
mushrooms um, are actually high in carbohydrates, but they have carbohydrates that are very slow acting, uh, like a primary carbohydrate they have is called mannitol. Mm -hmm. Very slow acting, slow to digest. Mushrooms are very high in fiber. So, so that also is feeding your microbiome as a, a prebiotic. But just as a basic rundown, mushrooms generally have 20 to 30% protein. And, and first of all, every mushroom will have a different nutritional profile. Not the same at all. Just like you can't say, oh yeah, all the fruits have the same nutritional. No, right. every mushroom will have a little bit different profile. So I'm going to give you a little bit of ranges here, 10 to 30% protein, uh, 40 to 70% carbohydrate, uh, 8% approximately for um, fats and um, oh, 10% or so of minerals. The minerals will primarily be dependent on what the mushroom happens to be growing on. Um, and then mushrooms in general are high in B vitamins, B1, B2, and B3. Uh, actually with, um, I think it's the riboflavin, the B3, mm -hmm. that um, basically uh, 100 grams fresh weight of mushrooms, you're getting 25% of your, your daily RDA in B3. So, so it's a very, very nutritious food. And one of the cool things about it, which you mentioned, is that mushrooms also have this medicinal value. Well, Stephanie, do we not want our food to also be our medicine? Isn't that a concept that we should all embrace? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I am fascinated with it. And very early on, um, when I was in um, massage school, I was studying shiatsu. Uh, also, I was fascinated with the medicinal, um, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, and uh, particularly reishi mushroom, I was very interested in. And I know there's so much about reishi in particular. Um, but um, give me a, a lowdown on reishi, because I'm still fascinated with it. I used to take uh, this very good quality supplement. But I know there's also such a difference as you know, supplements go with mushrooms in particular. I know I just threw a lot of things at you, but if you could just go with <laughs> well, that. <laughs> well, you know what, look, let's just start with reishi. I, I mean, what's interesting about reishi is, A, you're not going to ever eat it. <laughs> right. For, I don't know what that your, would taste like. <laughs> yeah. For your listeners, reishi is uh, what's called a polypore. It doesn't have gills underneath. It has lots of pores it grows off of wood and it is woody it looks it like, wood. like it right. would be like chewing on a piece of wood when i first was <laughs> introducing mushrooms to the nutritional supplement market and that was back in 1990 nobody had a product then and i was walking around natural foods expo in anaheim i don't know if you've ever been there but it's an amazing show and so everybody there's trying to sell, but, but, uh, um, you know, I was trying to sell also, but not with my booth, we're just kind of walking around the first time there. And I'd, I'd go to some of these, uh, people and these companies and say, have you ever heard of, uh, medicinal mushrooms? They say, no. Uh, have you ever seen reishi? And here I'd show them a reishi mushroom and they'd, they'd look at this reishi mushroom and they'd go, 
is this real? <laughs> you know, it's a dried reishi mushroom and it's just, it looks like an ornament. It looks like it's, I mean, it's a beautiful mushroom. It's got kind of a, yeah. a spiral ram's head type of cap. It's like, um, um, you know, like a wood, like a, what do you call it? The, it's, I'm blanking on it, uh, petrified wood. That's what it kind well, of well, me. you know what? Yeah, it, it's a, when you're holding it in your hand, it looks like, is this real? What is this? Mm -hmm. And and well, it's like a piece of wood, like somebody had just carved it or something. Yeah. So so um, reishi, you know, it, it is a food in the sense that beverages are food. So you would put it into a tea. It's called the uh, mushroom of immortality in China, the 10,000 year mushroom in Japan. There are all sorts of stories and mythologies and you see it in their art. Uh, you see it everywhere in China. And it's really fascinating to see when a plant is given that much sort of reverence. Um, and, and the interesting thing about, let's just say all medicinal mushrooms and reishi uh, as well is that they contain compounds called beta-glucans. I was going to ask you about that. Beta-glucans make up 50% of the cell wall of all mushrooms. Um, but certain mushrooms have an architecture of that beta-glucan that makes them uh, very active immunologically. Okay. Now, what's, what's interesting to me is that we have a method of measuring those beta-glucans. And, and let me tell you, in terms of quality control of mushroom products, there was none until about 2014, other than uh, my company developed a means to test for what are called triterpenoids, which mm -hmm. are in reishi mushroom. And that's what we were testing. The thing about reishi, those triterpenoids are bitter. <laughs> so if you have a reishi product or if you chew on a reishi mushroom, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> that does not taste good. It tastes very bitter. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, our extracts are like concentrated bitterness. Like, so when you go to the acupuncturist and they give you herbs and you're supposed to make the tea with the herbs, it tastes <laughs> like that kind of, I'm guessing. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? Anybody, you know, who's doing traditional Chinese medicine and they give you that little bundle, your formula and you take it home. And, you know, in China with, with TCM, they just boil a hell out of these things and, and, you know, two or three hours or whatever. And then they separate all of the fiber out and you have this dark liquid and you're just going like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> do I really have to drink this? <laughs> it's definitely medicine for sure. It's definitely medicine. <laughs> so, so with reishi mushroom, what was interesting is when we started to do our testing on it, it turns out that reishi mushroom and the turkey tail have the two highest amounts of beta glucans. And, and, you know, I thought that is really interesting to me because first of all, I love the fact that we can measure the active compounds in our products, which to me is very important, but I just thought, man, it is, it is sort of backing up the traditional use in terms of why this thing is set apart from all the other mushrooms. And, and the other reason why reishi is set apart are these triterpenoids. All of the medicinal mushrooms 
that certainly that we sell in the major medicinal mushrooms, let's just say 10 or 12, they all share the beta glucans um, and they all each have this special architecture that makes them active. Um, but reishi has these extra compounds in large amounts so that that kind of makes it very special. And, and uh, first of all, let me just say in terms of the activities of medicinal mushrooms, the primary activity is they will potentiate our immune systems. And, and right now we're all learning about how very important that is. I mean, it's always been important. We've always known that, but how very important that is to have a very high level, high functioning immunological system that we can deal with all sorts of, whether it be viral or bacterial or you name it, to help us cope with that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the medicinal qualities of some of these mushrooms, such as reishi, and you mentioned turkey tail, which I've also taken before, but I, I wasn't sure how to take it. So could you explain? Um, I mean, I had a very concentrated powder where I would put a tiny, tiny little bit and I'd put it in my tea. And it was just like a tiny bit because it, a little bit goes a long way, right? So I wasn't sure how much to take. And I had this big uh, pouch of it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a little bit of this and put it in my tea every morning. And there you well, go. Well, well, look, what I would say, and, and you know, here, here's really, you know, when you get into the traditional, into the uh, supplement market. Yeah. What do you find? Well, okay, you've got a so bottle. Much. Yeah. And the bottle says um, 60 capsules, take two a day. Why do they, why do, they do it that way? Well, right. because it's a month's supply, that's all. Okay. But, you know, you taking two capsules or your husband taking two capsules or your mate taking two capsules, there's a big difference in how, how much you weigh. So, so that, you throw that right out the window. That, right. that just makes no sense whatsoever. No sense. Right. Um, and, and what I would say is that, um, in traditional Chinese medicine, they give you quite a lot of the herbs because they want to see something happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't want to underpower the medicine. No, they want to see something happen. So I, I'm, I, I will tell you, no, a small amount. No, <laughs> not really. I, I mean, we're not in, into homeopathy here in terms of herbal medicine. We're into delivering a reasonable amount that you can actually get sufficient quantities of the active compounds so that there actually will be effect. And one of the things I want to be very clear here about, about mushrooms is they don't act overnight. They do not act. You know, uh, I, I see reviews sometimes on Amazon and the person goes, I just got my, this mushroom product today and I'm, I've got a cold coming on. I took two capsules. The next day I was fine. It was gone. No. Placebo effect. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. That's not how it works. No. The way it works is you need to be consuming this on a regular basis, whether it is eating mushrooms or supplementing. Mm -hmm. You pretty much have to just incorporate them into your daily diet Mm -hmm. And then over time, you can gauge what's going on. And, and what, what I think is really fascinating is you can say, okay, hmm, have I gotten 
a cold lately? Have I gotten the flu lately? Um, how, how do I feel overall? And, and look, that does not mean that if you're eating out of the middle aisles and you're sitting in a chair all day, that this is the panacea for you. It does not mean wow. that. What it means, it can be part of a healthy lifestyle if you choose it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I see. So I've been microdosing. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that, that's another subject entirely, which, you know, maybe we'll get to or maybe not. But, but I, I guess my point is that, look, if I were taking a, uh, well, I have a, um, a friend who is a, an MD. Uh, he grew up in Hong Kong. So he's very familiar with traditional Chinese medicine. Then he went on, came to the United States, lives in New York, got his, uh, uh, Went, became a doctor. He did a study on reishi. Mm -hmm. Okay, traditionally, what do they use? What's the amount? He came up with a really interesting kind of guideline, which I use, which is two to five dried grams of the mushroom itself or the equivalent amount of extract. So let's just say we're at the five grams of dried mushrooms. Well, if I make a 10 to one extract out of that, now I only have to take 500 milligrams, mm -hmm. but 500 milligrams would be a lot more than that little pinch, right? <laughs> I think mine was an extract now that I'm, I'm trying to remember the, um, I, I bought it at a health food store and I was like, well, I love reishi. I used to take the um, dragon herbs. Uh, oh. Uh, are you talking about Ron Teagarden? Yes, yes. Well, that you was know, and, my introduction. And, and I, I, you know, Ron, Ron knows what he's doing. And, and I always, if people tell me they're taking his products, I'm going great, you know, because he's yeah. got, and he knows reishi. And so his reishi products would be, be good. But, but, you know, in fact, uh, the fact of what we may buy and what's on the shelves, that's something that, that, you know, I, I love to tell people about because what you're buying may not be even a mushroom, even though it says mushroom on the label and it's right. just really difficult. Yeah. There's so much out there, particularly uh, at this time and um, that the uh, mushroom uh, world has just exploded. I think, you know, in the past, what, 10 years even. Yeah. And there's so much offered, particularly if you go to whole foods and various different health food stores and you go into the supplement section and you're just like, where do you oh, start? I know. So, so like, you know, I knew, uh, I used to go to dragon herbs, so I knew, okay, well, that's a good quality, but for some people are just starting to discover it as a medicinal support, you know, immune support as well as cooking. So it sounds like we should just incorporate on in, in all ways using shiitake as we, um, you know, cook or using mushroom as meat substitute for some of us that want to go more plant-based and um you know like yourself you're you i'm assuming you're an omnivore but um but you know there are people who want to incorporate more plants into their diet and so mushrooms is a, a good alternative for a meat substitute as well so we're looking at mushrooms as how to get the most out of them for, as a medicinal as well as a culinary and all of the choices that we have. So, well, 
yeah, go ahead. Well, well <laughs> Sorry, uh, you, know, you know, it's like <laughs> what, what I would say, and, and just for, let's just stick right now with, with eating mushrooms. Okay. Um, right now in Southern California, you've got so many choices when you go into the marketplace. Yes. You probably have at least uh, six different species that are on the shelf there. You, you've got the standard agaricus, you've got uh, probably oyster mushrooms, you've probably got maitake. You, you could even have a lion's mane, which is really delicious, uh, and, and a couple of other uh, species there, but you've got a good choice. Enoki, are, are, have you ever eaten enoki mushrooms? I love enoki. I love enoki. I love them. They're so cute. <laughs> they are. So, I know. For people who haven't seen them, they come in a package that is like uh, very tightly packed, and there's over a thousand of these things, and they have long stems and little tiny caps on them. And when you open up, you have to pull them apart, but they have this crunchy texture and they're really a nice flavor. And it's just like crunchy noodles or something. They are really good. I love them on top of like a homemade ramen or um, in a mushroom risotto. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I throw them in at the end. I don't overdo it with them because they're so delicate and so pretty. I just sort of use them almost at the end cooking aspect, but, but I know that, you know, sauteing them, you know, there's so many different ways to bring out their flavor. Yeah. I normally saute my mushrooms. That's kind of my, my standard way of cooking mm -hmm. them. And, and let me talk about that for a minute too, yes. because, you know, one of the issues out there with mushrooms is people don't know how to cook them. Right. And, you know, maybe you've heard, but I've certainly heard for the longest time, people say, oh yeah, mushrooms, they're, they're slimy. And, 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 you know, if you ever ask a child about mushrooms, that's the first thing they'll say, oh, ooh, slimy or something. <laughs> well, they're not cooked properly. When I cook them and look, you can put them in all sorts of things, but I like to, to fry my mushrooms up and, you know, whatever oil people want to use. But first of all, cut them. Don't, don't cut them too thin, maybe a quarter of an inch thick. Mm -hmm. um, they need a hot pan. Mm -hmm. If you cook them on too low a heat, what happens is all of the liquid comes right out of them. And now they're sitting in a pool of water and you wonder why they're slimy yes do not do that unless you're cooking a gravy <laughs> then that's fine right. but but otherwise no hot pan you kind of sear off the the sides of them flip them sear them um that keeps the moisture in it gives them a nice little browning on the outside which which is nice um i like to cook them a little longer maybe than other people i'd cook them for at least 10 minutes anyway and making sure that they get well cooked remember that those mushrooms are going to shrink, probably end up being half the size of when you put them in there where you thought, oh my God, that's a lot of mushrooms. Boom. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> They've shrunk down and you're like, where'd they go? So that is so important for people that want to eat mushrooms. And, and you can, you can put them in all sorts of things. I, I, you know, I use them in so many different ways, whether just alone or into stir fries or one of the things that I'm, I'm really into making my own uh, tacos these days because it's so easy. And so, uh, so easy. I, I just, I, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll fry them up with a few other veggies and, and I'll throw some uh, hamburger in there and then that's my filling. And it's like, then I have it in my fridge and I can put them out and do it, 
make my tacos anytime, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, again, in terms of eating mushrooms, the, the key there is put them into your diet to where you're, you're eating mushrooms three or four times a week because, you know, I really think that mushrooms are the forgotten food. I think they're the missing dietary link uh, in our Western diet. And when you look at some of the studies that have been done by you know high quality researchers and they look at populations and the diet that they have and everything, almost every study that I've seen says that populations that eat mushrooms live longer. It's just almost like a fact now. And, and I totally believe that because if you're eating a food that also has these beta glucans and other compounds in there that are helping your immune system and helping you cope with whatever challenges you, you may have, health challenges, well, over the long run, that's going to be a big advantage to you in terms of living a healthy life. So my first uh, sort of prescription for people in general when it comes to mushrooms. I say, look, even before you supplement, put mushrooms into your diet. And, and number one, um, if you're not sure what mushroom to choose, go for shiitakes. They're wonderful. And, and the agaricus mushroom. I was growing that for 10 years on this large farm. I ate a ton of them while I was there. I still eat those mushrooms and I still think they are one of the best edible mushrooms. They're meaty, they're flavorful. A lot of people are like, oh yeah, those they're so blase and common and all that. It's a wonderful, flavorful mushroom. So don't, don't uh, look at that as like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to always do these other mushrooms. No, the agaricus is a great mushroom. Yeah, I, I'm kind of at a, at a loss here in my small uh, um, seaside community I can get agaricus at, at both the markets, but I'm lucky if I can get shiitake. Uh, no, no other mushrooms in this community, shiitake. And, and oftentimes when I get the shiitake, they are terrible condition. And that, that's another thing about mushrooms. Look, when you see those mushrooms sitting there in that box on the shelf with a shiitake, for example, it, turn it over. Look at the gills. The gills should be all nice and white. If you see brown spots on those gills, that means uh, it's bacteria. If they seem kind of, you know, not too solid, chances are they've been sitting there too long and they're kind of getting a little bit limp around the edges and sometimes they'll turn a little brown along the edges. Don't buy them. Low quality. Um, normally in your markets, you should probably have pretty good quality the stuff. I mean, I'm at the end of the road here. By the time stuff gets here, <laughs> it could be just like, where'd it go? It's gone. There's nothing left. The bacteria ate it all. So it's the same with an, an agaricus mushroom. Um, look for it. Um, if it's got brown spots on or something, that's bacteria. Um, a lot of times mushrooms will either dry out a little bit, which, you know, is neither here nor there. But the, the worst part is if they, some produce manager that doesn't know what he's doing puts them in a place where the spray comes down on oh, them. that's the right. worst the thing worst. possible the worst. for mushrooms yeah absolutely the worst so so really pick and choose 
Um, sometimes you can't because they're, they're overwrapped in something, but look at them closely. Do they look <laughs> like an oyster mushroom? Is it all ragged? You know, is it something where people have been pawing through it and you've got this ragged looking oyster mushroom? It's like, that's not the way it's supposed to look. It's supposed right. to look better than that. So, so be aware. Now, in the Japanese market and a lot of the Asian markets, they have a huge selection of oh, mushrooms. Oh, lucky you. And then when I take them home, I'm almost afraid to really wash them because I feel like, well, when I learned in culinary school, in French classic cooking, if you're using the, you know, the regular traditional button, button mushrooms, yeah. right, you, you sort of rub off the dirt from the cap and then you de-stem it and chop it very finely. This is French cooking. Yeah, yeah. yeah in yeah. in Asian cooking, um, I feel like you don't want to disturb the integrity of the mushroom. So you don't really want to overdo it. Like with shiitake, when I buy shiitake, I like to um, chop them up and marinate them in a little bit of uh, shoyu or soy sauce. Cool. So I like to just marinate them and just uh, use them that way. And what happens is, is the mushroom, the shiitake, which is already very savory, absorbs the soy sauce. Exactly. So tasty. Yes. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why um, people will say, don't wash your mushrooms. Right. Because what will happen is, is the gill area, uh, water gets in there and it can soak in. But, you know, what, what I would say, generally speaking, you probably shouldn't have to wash any of your mushrooms, although occasionally uh, you might want to wash the agaricus. And the only reason is that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's growing out of uh, a manure or a compost or something like that. It, it isn't. That's what it's being fed. But on top of that is a layer of peat moss. So any sort of little kind of dirt things on an agaricus, on a button mushroom, it's just peat moss. And, you, oh. and you've got two ways to, yeah, so you've got two ways to deal with, with that. You can either take a little brush and brush it off or, or you know, what I do, I, I literally will just uh, open the tap and I'll just put it in the tap and I'll kind of revolve it in my hand to just scrape off any of the dirts that's there. And I'll, I'll look at them first. Is there any there? No. Okay, fine, fine. If there is a little bit, I'll just put it under the tap. The agaricus, because it's a button, the water doesn't get on the gills because the gills are not exposed. And, and, and why it's called a button mushroom is because it's an immature mushroom. A mature mushroom, the cap opens, and now you have the gills underneath, which is your portobello. Oh. Okay. And, and you know what? The, the whole thing about cremini, portobello, button mushroom, they're all the same species. <laughs> the portobello is just a mature agaricus mushroom. The, the cremini is just a brown capped agaricus mushroom. Oh. Same species, but they've done a great marketing job of producing now three different ones that you can buy. But again, look, normally speaking, you're not going to have to wash most mushrooms because what they're growing in has been eliminated prior to putting them in the, the box or the whatever they're selling them in. The only uh, mushroom that would have something would be the agaricus and it might have some, some of the peat moss on it. But you know, Stephanie, what some people don't know is that every single mushroom has been harvested by hand. Right. 
I mean, and, and you cannot imagine an agaricus mushroom house and they have beds of these that are maybe a hundred feet long and let's just say uh, five feet wide. And in that one bed, and there's maybe 20 beds in every room that they're growing them in, there will be tens of thousands of mushrooms that have to be picked and mushrooms do not sleep. <laughs> it's not, you know, not even like a plant, a plant, maybe, okay, temperature goes down, the plant kind of slows down. They're keeping the mushrooms at pretty much a constant temperature. So they continue to grow. And in an indoor crop, which in the United States, that's how they're grown, the temperature is tightly controlled to be optimum temperature for a steady amount of growth. So every single day, harvesters are going into that mushroom house, going through and picking all of them that are at the size that they want to sell them at, while there are a lot of smaller ones that will be ready the next day. So, so if you're working on a mushroom farm, there is no day of the year when they are not harvesting mushrooms. They do not stop growing. Amazing. I didn't all picked know by that. hand. All picked <laughs> by hand. <laughs> wow. So so for 10 years you worked on a mushroom farm. I did, yes. And yes. when we think of farm, we think outdoors, but like you mentioned, they grow them indoors. And so what is that like? I mean, you just described this constant harvesting. I mean, it's, it's well. You know, in, in the Garicus culture, it's like a big warehouse. So think uh -huh. about it, a big open concrete warehouse room. Uh -huh. And and they're growing the mushrooms in either trays that are stacked six highs. And when you look at them, it's just like a continuous bed or just a long shelf. And maybe there's four rows of these long shelves. And so they filled those trays or shelves with the, the substrate, which is what they grow on. They've put that casing on top of it and then they just give it the conditions it needs to start to to grow and just so everybody knows because this is really interesting and and important about mushrooms and that is um how do you grow mushrooms if they don't have seeds right how do you do that well you know mushrooms have spores so the, the mature mushroom, a spore will come out, it will float down, it'll be on the ground, it'll be on a piece of wood. Um, when that germinates, it germinates into a very fine filament called a hypha. When multiple filaments come together, it comes together, forms a network of these filaments, and that is called mycelium. And that is the vegetative body. That's the actual body of the fungus. And, and we don't see it because it's either underground or it's in a piece of wood, but it has to protect itself from dry air. It has to be in a moist environment or it will dry out. So it is underground or embedded in its food source. Now, when conditions change, uh, like in the Northwest, it's like fall, the rains come and, and the temperature goes down and now that vegetative body of mycelium, which has been breaking down all these nutrients out there and, and you know, breaking down organic matter, it is the premier 
recycler, you know, without fungal mycelium and bacteria and bugs and all that, we'd have all this organic matter building up. So it's just breaking it down into humus. So here comes fall, up comes the mushroom. The like mushroom truffles. goes through its, what's that? <laughs> like truffles. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another story. <laughs> the, uh, um, so up it comes and, and it takes maybe two weeks from the time it first forms to the time it's mature. And, and you know how you might be walking along and, and you're going, oh, look, a mushroom. And you're going, that's funny. It wasn't there yesterday. I walked right by here and I didn't see it. <laughs> Right. Well, well, you know, you know what? It actually was there. The difference is it finally reached a size that you noticed. Right. Because it starts out and it's a small little thing and then it turns into a little button and then that grows up a little taller and then the cap gets up and, and pretty soon it's big enough and you go, wow, mushroom. I, I didn't see that before. You weren't really noticing or looking enough till it reached that certain <laughs> size. It takes about uh, two to three weeks for that thing to fully come up and mature. Uh, as it matures, uh, the cap opens up. There's gills underneath. Out come the spores. Now we have a um, three different what I call plant parts. And, and and look, when you're looking for a supplement they have to tell you what part of the plant that they're selling you. So for example, with ginseng, they're selling you a root with ginkgo. They're selling you the leaf. Um, some cases they're selling you the particular fruit of this plant or the flowers of the plant. Each one of those parts has a different amount of the medicinal compounds. So somebody could be selling you the wrong part because it's really cheap. And still saying, oh, yeah, I'm selling you ginseng or something. And you're getting a ginseng that has none of the medicinal compounds in it. Wow. That's the same with a mushroom product. You have to look at it and go, what part of this fungal organism am I buying? And, and this is kind of the, the area where, for me, I really like to educate people because what has happened is that growing mushrooms is expensive. Mushrooms are not cheap to produce. So, but I can grow mushrooms, so I can put them in the marketplace. I can make a living, I can make a profit, get $5 a pound for my fresh shiitake or something. And then, but if I dry those out, supplements are dried powders. If I dry those out, mushrooms are 90% water, like most vegetables. Mm -hmm. Now that $5 for that pound of shiitake, I have to get $50 for that. Economics do not work right. for growing mushrooms in North America and sending them to the supplement market. No mushrooms other than small boutique growers that are maybe giving their mushrooms to the local herbalist or something like that who produces small amounts of tinctures. No mushrooms in the United States go to the supplement market at all. That's why as a mushroom grower and knowing the economics of it, I went to China in 1989 to my first international conference on mushrooms and all through the 90s i traveled throughout china went to farms went to 
processing factories, went to research stations, attended conferences, made contacts. That's where we grow all our mushrooms. And you know what's interesting about that? Our mushrooms do not grow in big warehouses. No, they grow in shade houses. Lots of fresh air, lots of light. You know that mushrooms actually need light to grow properly? The only oh. one that really doesn't, there's only a few that don't, one of which is that, that button mushroom. And when I was working at that farm, we used to have miners lights to go <laughs> in the rooms because there was no light in those rooms. So we'd have miner lamps to go in. And so with the harvesters, they're working in a dark room with miners lights on. <laughs> okay, now I have a better picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, with the Gericus, you don't need light to grow, but with most mushrooms, you do. Now, look, a lot of people are like, oh, China, oh my God, I wouldn't touch anything from over there. Well, you know, I understand, I, I totally do. I mean, I don't wanna eat uh, food grown in North America that's got chemicals sprayed all over them or that come from the Gulf Coast of the United States next to a petrochemical plant or something like that. So in 1997, I took the largest organic certifier in the United States with me to China and I did the very first organic mushroom certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. All of our mushrooms are grown organically and certified by European certifiers. So, you know, that's really important. And um, getting back to why mushrooms and, and what's in the supplement market and all that. So what happens is that companies in the United States, what they do is they grow the mycelium on sterilized grain. And, and just so you know, I don't have any problem with grains. I mean, I don't eat, I don't eat a lot of grains. I mean, I, I kind of carbohydrates. I don't need many carbohydrates anymore, but at any rate, um, they grow the mycelium and, and for people that, that are kind of like, well, what's mycelium? And all? Well, if, if you were to see mycelium, it would just like a, look like a mold. It just looked like a mold. So if you happen to like pull out your loaf of bread and it's got this kind of white growing on it, you're going, huh, what's that? It's a mold. And within a few days, it will turn green or black. And, and, and what's happening is that mold at that point in time is now producing spores. And that's for people who, you know, you're talking about mold and the damage of mold. It's the spores that you don't want to be breathing. That's the difficulty there. So, so what, what they do is they, they grow this mycelium on grain and then they dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all, and sell it as mushroom. Oh. So a lot of mushroom products in the markets are what I call myceliated grain. And you know what a good example of myceliated grain is? Do you know what tempeh is? I happen to really love tempeh. Okay. Do I want to know? <laughs> oh, well, well, do you, do you know, do you know what, uh, how they make tempeh? Sort of. It has to do with the soybean, right? It's soybean. Yeah, and, and it's fermented, right? Yes. Okay, do you know what they ferment it with? I'm never gonna eat tempeh again, I think. No, no, you will, you will, no, you will. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with tempeh. I like tempeh, it's, it's a great food product. It, basically, it's fermented with a fungal mycelium. Okay. 
when you're eating tempeh, you're eating mycelium. Okay. It's all good. It's all okay. good. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> you had me worried for a minute. I was no, like, no, 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 no. I know. Everyone eating tempeh again. <laughs> <laughs> I know there are always those little surprises out there, just waiting for us, aren't there? <laughs> no, no. Look, tempeh is a great food. It's a, a wonderful, tasty food. But it has but, grain, right? Well, well, well. No, the the issue is that that is what companies are selling and calling it calling a, it mushroom. Yes, and remember the plant parts: spore, mycelium mushroom mycelium is very different from a mushroom a mushroom is very complex it's producing all sorts of interesting compounds that mycelium is a very simple structure it's out there it's secreting enzymes it's building up the reserves to produce a mushroom so so when you put that on grain and it's just like with your tempeh if you were to slice into it and you're looking at it you're like Okay, I see a lot of soybeans there, and I see all this white stuff in between. Mm -hmm. If you were to dry that out, Stephanie, that white stuff would shrink, and you're like, what happened to it? Because it's 90% water, so it's very nice and fluffy and all the rest, whereas the soy is 50% water. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, that soy cake that's been produced is is mostly soy, which is fine. That that's that's part of the food value and the food product. It's been fermented with this mycelium, but they're selling that as a supplement and calling it mushrooms. And, and and the thing is, is that it's mislabeled. Mm -hmm. um, it's very deceitful because on the front panel they have a picture of a mushroom. It says mushroom, reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, whatever. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, you turn it over in the supplements facts and it says um, mycelium. Okay. If you're lucky. Or myceliated or something oh, like that. Oh, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, fine print right. where it might say other, then maybe the honest ones will say myceliated brown rice, I myceliated see. oats. They kind of hide that from you. How many people are down there? I mean, I, I always like to look at that kind of stuff. I, I'm really into that looking, okay, what's in this food, whatever it is I'm buying. A lot of people it's like, no, they look at the, uh, you know, and they go, oh, this brand here. Oh yeah, I, I know, I've heard the person that, you know, sells this and I know this brand. And so uh, I must be good. So I'll, I'll buy it, not knowing that what they're actually getting is mostly starch. Ah, what a bummer. Mushrooms <laughs> do not have starch. Right. So like, what we're no. looking at is the integrity and the quality of the product if you are buying a mushroom supplement. Exactly, exactly. And, and look, don't depend on the person working in the store because they don't know anything about mushrooms except what the salespeople have told them. I see. So they could be, they could be recommending one of these products and most likely will. I see. So um, you have a book and this is the mushroom cultivator and, and, um, and you also have your website Namex. So are those two sources, I'm guessing, excellent sources because you're so full of information uh, for people to learn more about mushrooms? Well, well, certainly 
The Mushroom Cultivator, which I co-authored in 1983. Uh -huh. And it's got lots of information about what is the mushroom and the life cycle and this types of things. And, but it's, it's primarily for people that want to grow mushrooms at home. That's I why see. I wrote it. Cool. Um, whereas if you really want information about mushrooms current day, whether it be nutritional or uh, supplement wise, uh, our website would be the place to go, which is namex.com. Mm -hmm. Or we have another site where we've got retail products that we sell online and that's real mushrooms dot com i was and real mushrooms.com yeah it's got some really great information it really there. does so I, yeah i highly recommend that and you know the, the key thing that i i like to do a is i really want people to understand that mushrooms are a fabulous food and, and you really need to put those into your diet before you supplement start eating mushrooms it's literally the forgotten food. So put it into your diet. <laughs> and, and then if you decide you want to go one step further, well, then consider supplementing with mushrooms. But but really, I mean, man, I mean, Stephanie, you know it as well as I know it. I mean, it's just like the different species and the flavors. And it's just like, no, it's, it's just a really great food. And, and Look at how young you look. I can just tell you've been eating mushrooms. <laughs> I'll be 51 in June. <laughs> I've oh, had come three on. children. <laughs> one oh, of, oh, come one on. of my son just turned 21. <laughs> oh my God. Come on. You are kidding me. Well, you know. And I'm a mushroom lover. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I, I hate to say this, but I'm a hundred and, you know, look at me. <laughs> Gosh, you only look 50. <laughs> <laughs> I only wish. <laughs> oh my gosh. You've been in the mushroom world for quite a long time. So yes. I am I am just so thrilled to speak with you about this. Is like for instance, like when we're talking about culinary use and bringing mushrooms into your life and cooking with mushrooms. There are some people who aren't really into mushrooms, but is there anything that might convince them otherwise that something that would inspire them? Do you have any thoughts, ideas on people that are kind of mushroom averse? <laughs> mushroom averse. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know what, uh, what I would say is in, in a lot of metropolitan areas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, Seattle, Vancouver, they have, mushroom societies, clubs, and every mushroom season, they go out foraging and hiking for mushrooms. Hey, you know, a, a mushroom hunt is like a treasure hunt. Take your kids with you. They'll love it. Go out with the group. They love taking new people out. Try that just as a beginning to get to understand this organism and just to see it growing naturally in the wild. And the other thing, which is really cool, is these societies every year, they have a show where all the members bring in all sorts of mushrooms. They lay them out on tables, sometimes in really cool displays. They will put down the name of that as an identification of it. They've got people there that are talking about them in different ways. You can learn a lot by going to that 
yearly show. It's really fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's like foraging. Um, and of course they would have an expert like yourself. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so that absolutely. you don't pick the wrong mushroom. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and look, anybody who's out there foraging who doesn't know anything, do not ever eat any wild mushroom unless you absolutely idea. have it identified by an expert. And then the other <laughs> thing about it, and this is something too, that that uh, if you're even going to the supermarket and, and planning to buy mushrooms and you don't normally eat mushrooms, look, with any food, I don't really care what it is, start off by just eating a little bit of it just to see how it agrees with you because a lot of people are allergic to all sorts of different foods out there. So you never know. I mean, I, I one of the, the um, dads that I went mushroom hunting with back in the 60s as a youngster, avid mushroom hunter. Oh, yeah. But he was allergic to morel mushrooms. Oh, what a, a bummer. It's a delicious <laughs> Those mushroom. Those are so good. I know. And, and here he was. He, he loved mushrooms. He's really into it, but oh. he could not eat morels. Oh. So that, that just goes to show you. I, I mean, that's just kind of, you know, with any food, people have you know, issues. And so just be careful because you don't want to go, Oh, wow. This is, Oh, it tastes so good. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Then later on, you're like, Oh, my stomach. Oh no. Or worse. Um, (laughs) yeah, well, I mean, look, if you're, if you're eating something in the, from the supermarket, it's just going to be like a, maybe a stomach issue or something. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, you'll be yeah. fine, and, and yeah. don't worry. No about poison it. mushrooms there. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, what are the chanterelles? Are lovely. Chanterelles oh, are absolutely man. lovely. I delicious, uh, great texture. Well. Yes, and you know we have an abundance of them. They're one of our most common mushrooms up here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so you go out. I mean, they they're so common that they even make it into our supermarkets here and in in the season. Uh, so right. that's a, that's really a common one. And, and also um, we have pine mushrooms, which are very, very um, highly prized in Japan, upwards of sometimes $500 a pound for wow. fresh pine mushrooms. It's pine like, mushrooms? Yeah, pine mushrooms. Yeah, they have a very distinctive odor and flavor. They're very meaty. Mm-hmm. Um that that's a great one you know i i have about maybe half a dozen wild species that i like mm-hmm. to eat and and um you know I, I i'm somebody too it's like sometimes when people go out mushroom hunting with me and, and i'm going like you know there there's a chanterelle or something and i just walk by it and then they they run for it and say hey well, how about this and i look you know no 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 that's the the condition it's in is not good don't worry about that right because it's just like it's been there too long it's a little ragged whatever it's like don't pick that. Just leave it. <laughs> We've got better ones coming forth. And they're like, oh, really? Do we have to leave it? Can't we take it? No, no, you can't. <laughs> oh, gosh. There's so many mushrooms out there that I love, um, as well as, you know, supplements that I've explored. Um, so, again, people can find out more information about you and your mushrooms and the world of mushrooms and learning more about them um, on your website, namex.com and realmushrooms.com. That's right. That's, that's absolutely right. Again, you know, I, I don't really do podcasts to sell anything. Right. If you want 
to buy the supplements, we do sell our supplements online through the Real Mushrooms brand. Okay. Um, but you know, for me, I just want people to understand mushrooms. And again, I want people to eat mushrooms. I mean, I've been really eating mushrooms in a regular way since the the late 60s and all the way through. And they're just a, they're just a standard food for me. And and so when I'm at the, the market, I mean, I'm always buying a couple pounds of mushrooms. It's like, and, and I can eat a lot. Like, like for example, agaricus. One agaricus, Stephanie, one medium-sized agaricus button mushroom weighs 40 grams. 40 grams. I mean, a heavy little bugger and so when i'm sitting down to do you know myself alone just doing agaricus i could eat 200 grams i mean that is half a pound mm -hmm. i mean without even blinking you know i mean think about <laughs> five or six mushrooms chop them up throw them in the pan and away you go i mean like a sauteed mushroom toast or something like that. well well yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely and, and again like i say i mean i just uh, put them right in with whatever i'm cooking up for my taco filling and, Tacos, and again, yes. you know i i'm totally into vegetables vegetables are me i mean and, and yeah. look I, i'm not a meat and potatoes guy i'm a meat and vegetables guy <laughs> So, you know, I, I kind of, I still love bread. You know, I can't get Me away too. from bread. It's, it's yeah. just my comfort food. I, I just, you know, there's something about bread. Uh, but when it comes to dinner, I've eliminated carbs out of my dinner. I mean, just, you know, the standard kind of starchy carbs standard, like right. rice or potato. I don't need them. I mean, I get exercise, but I, I just can't have an extra carb load all that does is just, you know, okay, I get a few pounds where I don't want them. And I'm just like, I don't need carbs at dinner. So I just have a bunch of veggies and my whatever else, you know, the steak is or the meat is or whatever it is. And, and, and you know, I, I guess the other thing too, I really think that the kind of relatively simple diets and, and one of the things I love about um, Japanese food, for example, right. is just how essential it is. It's, it's simple you know, like sushi or something. And it's just the flavor of whatever that is, is what you're getting. Mm -hmm. It's not too saucy or anything like that. No, I, that's what I like. I like to taste the essence of whatever it is I'm eating. I don't need it to be sauced up or anything like that. Now, right. not to say that it's not nice to have, you know, some really interesting, spicy and so on dishes because yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But again, to me, it's like, I just love to get the flavor of whatever that particular food is. And that's what uh, you know, my body resonates with. Yeah. And mushrooms really have that quality. You can really bring out the essence of a mushroom while you're cooking it and preparing it for a meal. And well, it has such a lovely umami, you know, just it and it enhances other things in your in your dish as well. You know what I really love too, and maybe you've seen them is is you can buy these mushrooms called shimeji. And they oh, come yeah. in Shimeji. little clusters, little families. Shimeji and mushrooms. I love them so much because you don't really have to cut them up. I just break them off and throw them in as is. Because again, it's it's this stem, not a big cap on it. And and that's just that's that's a Japanese method of cultiv cultivation. They even will grow oyster mushrooms that way. A small stem, mm -hmm. small cap, clusters mm -hmm. of them. I prefer that to the really big oyster mushrooms where it's very thin fleshed. Mm -hmm. So that those 
kind of families, little families of these different mushrooms like yeah. that. To me, it's just like, what a great method of growing mushrooms and so easy to cook and so delightful to eat. And even the visual of seeing these things laying on your plate, fabulous. Yeah, I'm just thinking about preparing the shimeji and you know, sometimes when you're preparing, um, we cut away most of the stem in order to have the prettier, you know, button tops and things like that. But if sometimes what I do is I take the stem portion and I put it into creating a broth, which could also be, you know, used later in a soup or a sauce or something like that. Well, yes, you know, you know what, and, and that's one of the things about shiitake. Um, I, I always trim off my shiitake stem because mm -hmm. it is very fibrous. Yeah, it can and, be tough. And, you know, ch not chewy, really the kind chewy. Of chewy that you like. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, that's kind of if, if you're taking like uh, broccoli ends and other types of veggies, you could throw mm -hmm. the stems in there, make up your broth, get rid of it. You have your broth and that's a great place to put those shiitake stems if you've mm -hmm. got got them on a regular basis but no whatever you're doing for most people if you're buying shiitake just chop the stem off because right exactly otherwise yeah, you'll just you'll be, be chewing going, forever <laughs> yeah oh this shiitake mushroom wasn't like they said it was going to be <laughs> no it's not <laughs> well thank you so much for taking this time to join us here on Plantful Life. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so inspired by your passion for mushrooms. And I'm going to dive into the realmushrooms.com site in particular, because it did really draw me right in. And I want to learn more, even though I do have a lot of mushroom knowledge. I, you I do. I do, but yeah. I could always learn more. I mean, there are so many different types that it's just it's a it's a whole adventure into learning about mushrooms. Yeah, and and I'll send you some some great papers on sort of nutritional breakdowns and stuff like yes. that. You've got that for your files, and you know what? I really enjoyed talking to you, and it's always wonderful to talk to somebody that's already a mushroom lover and <laughs> knows a lot about mushrooms. So, thank you so much for having me on the show, Stephanie. It's been really great. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to Jeff about all things mushrooms. And I thought you might want to check out Jeff and his son Sky Chilton's great online resource, realmushrooms.com. They have fabulous high quality mushroom products and more information on their website. So if you want to learn more about mushrooms, check out realmushrooms.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and want more episodes like this one, please do subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already or wherever you're listening so you never miss another episode. And don't forget, if you're on iTunes, I would love it if you gave Plantful Life a five-star rating and review. You can also join the Facebook group Plantful Life Podcast on Facebook as well. And yeah, thanks for listening to this. I hope to bring you more delicious plantful episodes soon. <music>